I'm Margaret Jo McCullen. And I'm Terry Rialto. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to TC and Jake on National Public Radio. How's your Monday so far? You know, it's a long one, man. It's a tough one. I didn't think they'd win, but. Why? What's going on? You didn't think there was any way they could beat. I mean, who beats Brock Purdy? You know, it kind of went about the way I thought it would, right? Like, I thought they would be close, and he would have a chance at the end to make a play, and he fucking failed this. I'm done, dude. Like, burned your burned your jersey. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, for anyone asking questions about Dak, I don't think that you could walk away saying you're more confident after yesterday's no. performance. No. I think you have to lose confidence. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, whatever. They're a good defense, but it, it didn't even really feel like it was that, right? Like, the, like you know, the whatever. I'm sure that other people will analyze this game better than me, but uh, I am pretty caught up on the uh, double-covered interception to CD. That being a, a second and two in the red zone, in a, you know, what, what I think modern football has come to understand to be the most important part of the game a couple minutes before the half and a couple minutes after the half especially whenever you're the team that gets the ball out of the half just uh you know it's, it's, it's really big yeah and the other thing about that too is that um and i i think that was the play maybe the first play where they didn't have pollard yeah yeah i think that's right if one thing um, from the analytics community um, when it comes to, you know, run-pass ratio that a lot of people don't know about, it's just run in the red zone. Yeah, just I buy run. that. Yeah, I mean, there's an extra defender as a back line. You know, the windows are, are way tighter. Like, formations become way tougher to exploit matchups. So, I don't know. They... I mean, I thought they would lose. It was just the way they did it was was a bit comical and you know i've basically at this point like i'm gonna be 40 nothing about the actual game that was played made me think that they had to lose that felt like a a game where you know yeah, someone no, that's, that's fair. supposed to be you know just someone of dax pay grade level shouldn't have that hard a time winning i guess that i'm game. just i guess you're totally right i guess i'm just thinking about just like spread wise right like you're yeah you're, no, you're a road I, dog like it also on an emotional level is someone who cares about these things. These are things you're telling yourself to like mitigate, you know, like if you have to stare the, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had disappointments in my life and fucking, you know, looking at them directly is goddamn impossible. So like, yeah, you got to <laughs> fucking think of the reasons why you don't actually have to look at it directly until some time passes and you can. And right. I don't know, you know, what you're saying sounds like the things that I've heard myself say so many times. No, and th- and that's like totally fair. Um, so I'll say this, like, I just understand that I'm going to be 40, 45 years old. And the two quarterbacks that span my lifetime, the total capital expended upon them will be pick 135. And then, you know, some hefty contracts, but... It's not like they had to make like some sort of godfather move to go get their guy. Yeah. Um, and they'll have won nothing. 
Yeah. They, they will they will never win. They will never appear in a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. It's it's tough for him to immediately follow Romo. Although, I mean, well, it's not like you would also want to follow someone who'd won like three times or something. But if he'd just been had a, a Browns like run of quarterbacks, then never to be like, you know, right. Dak's great. Because uh, we've just spent so long like trying Burrow. to convince ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burrow's, yeah, great spot. Uh, we've spent so long trying to convince ourselves that, like, well, you know, it just comes down to one game. Anyone can win one game. I don't think we should kill. You know what I mean? Like, he played 19 this season. One of them was <laughs> bad. What's the big fucking deal? You know, like... Uh, you, 14. You can, you can do I that a couple... Yeah, yeah, because he was hurt. Uh, but you you can do that a couple times. Um, but fucking, you know, uh, after having done it so many times with Romo, I've started to move this way in general. Uh, and I, you know, people who are big football fans that don't play Madden don't want to hear this. But playing <laughs> Madden has really influenced my thinking on this. That it's uh, and I mean I I understand in a vacuum how stupid that statement is, but just evaluate my point on its own merits. Uh, and the point is, it's just such a fucking it's it's a matchup game. Whatever you whatever you are in the in the heat of battle trying to uh, fucking overcome these teens, you understand that like uh, you know you've you've got a menu of things that you can do, like you know things that you're confident in options that that your players are giving you or you know that that like your 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 plays that you have practiced and down and if if it's a big menu then you can do you know uh you can win a ton of games uh if it's a small menu then like by the end of the game they're fucking sitting on everything they know exactly what you're doing and uh you know it's just like it's not like baseball or something where you're just kind of like doing a bunch of neutral trials and uh, you just kind of stack those up over time and how good you are is the outcome of that. It's, it is very situation specific and just being able to like, you know, if, if you are the kind of person who just doesn't have whatever, you know, you don't have a play down, you don't have, you know, whatever you need in like a specific situation, whenever that, I I mean, like, you know, fucking going on the road against the 49ers in the playoffs, you know, like that's, it it can absolutely show up that you're a good quarterback who, uh, who wins a bunch of games in the regular season, whenever you're playing against a certain kind of guy, but whenever there's a, I mean, I just, I know, you know, within the first uh, 10 plays, whether or not I'm going to win or lose this game, probably because, you know, I've got a couple of things I can do. If you don't know what to do about them, I'm going to fucking run all over you. If you do know what to do about them, I'm going to get my ass kicked. And like, uh, you know, he, he just, he can run all over the guys who don't know what to do about the, the you know, things he can do well. But if he can take away a thing or two, then you ground into fucking, what, 12 points? Uh, How'd they get to 12? <laughs> that's, that is the question. <laughs> Yeah, so it sucks just because I know this is going to be like the next three, four, five years. You know, years. I thought you were talking about the off season. You're going to say month. Oh next, no! I mean, the next half a decade of my life is just going to be this guy fucking pissing all over my fandom. Well, because you know, like if you if you have, and I don't care if we're just doing some sports talk here. Uh, if you have a guy who takes up that uh, much of a share of your cap. Like, you've got to have a better roster around him. Uh, or he has to be able to elevate that roster on his own. Like, look at Kansas City goes and gets uh, uh, Scantling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a cast-off. They've done this a number of times. 
Um, you know, I guess you could say that like the Bengals have like an extremely talented uh, skill position core around Burrow, but their offensive line sucks. You Dak just, is just this Dak is, is just like the guy that kind of has to have everything fine tuned for him to be successful. But it's very tough to have everything fine tuned if your quarterback takes up that uh, substantial of a hit of your cap. And I mean, I don't imagine that Rock Nation is going to have him uh, sign a new extension for twenty a year instead of forty five, or whatever the escalating cap numbers will be. So they are where they are, man. Yeah, yeah. You just—I I don't know the way you see, like Smith Schuster playing or uh, Watkins going to Kansas City. I—I I yeah. think are both examples of this is a situation I want to be in. So like, fuck it, I don't care what the other details are. And Your classic Carl Malone ring chasing scenario. The point of the Cowboys is that there's like it's supposed to be that because they Dick. are the NFL's franchise that that it's like, well, fuck, I got a chance to be a cowboy. And I don't know, when's the last time that happened? Like, it just, it, it, and I don't know. It's not like the first thing I would kill Dak for is not being as fun to play with as Patrick Mahomes, but it it matters in there. Like, could you imagine being a receiver who's like, I mean, you're not like upset about Dak. You're not like uh, firing your agent if you get traded there because you're so pissed off you have to play with Dak. You make the best of it. It's fine. He's not going to hurt your numbers, but like just – you know, I don't know, fun to play with, fun to be around, like, you know, having something like just, I don't know, the the, the aura that surrounds Patrick Mahomes. I He just doesn't have any of that kind of juice. He seems pretty fucking like, I don't know, personally annoying kind of to me, like boring in a way that is, uh, is, is, is like bothering me. Well, you know what? Like a lot of people were like, oh, man, Dak on dude. Perfect. Like he's uh, this is uh, weird. He looks like he's he doesn't really want to be there. Trust me, he wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. That's his scene, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 kind of kind of his whole vibe. So I don't know. Yeah, that sucked. And then I do have a, a couple of flag football updates for you. Ooh, I can't wait for that. But just last thing, a big big uh Oh, I we mean, got an event. Oh, we do have an event. But I, I mean last thing on the Cowboys. Um what a I, I think that Dak is earning his money in one key important way, and that's that uh, in other circumstances like this, uh, it always turns to until Jerry the owner fires Jerry the GM. Yeah, and Dak played so bad that no one's even really thinking about the fact that Jerry's fucking this up. You know, I saw like a scant amount of <laughs> what about? See, that sounded healthy. It's a normal cough. Yeah. I saw like a scant amount of like Stephen Cap talk today, but Jerry scot free. Yeah, this is the least blame he's ever received at the end of a season. I'd say that the pieces have been arranged in the in the proper order, which is a bit silly because obviously, if you think about last night's game or you think about like any of the losses they had this year, if they had Amari Cooper, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I think things would have gone better. How does I that all work? A lot of is there any this. is there anyone like that they would have had the cut now? Like would they have been over, or was it just like uh they just would have had to pay money? So the thing is, is that uh his contract was extremely unique and that it was very pay-as-you-go. Mm-hmm. So what they would have had to do to keep him 
is they would have had to convert a significant amount of the 2023 uh, hit into guaranteed. Okay. So, like, as it was, I mean, he was making a ton of money, $20 million a year, I think. And they would have had to actually take some of that and remove their agency from being able to get out of it whenever they wanted. Yeah. And lock it in a year ahead of time. Okay. Um, and then some of the sequencing matters, too, because... You know, so it's they, not like it would have been consequence free. Like it would have hurt next year's team probably. Now um, getting a fifth for him is fucking criminal. I think that should be obvious. Now I don't even know done. that it would have he- that it would have hurt next year's team because he's like twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, and okay. He was yeah. one of the better receivers in the league this year. There's you know, no I mean, you say he's twenty eight now. He, he he'll be twenty nine next year. Uh dude, you have There's to no remember. Way he's that young. Amari Cooper came out of college when he was twenty. Yeah, he's uh, June of 94, so he'll be 29 next season. But yeah, he's 28 now. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's, this, this is not like going and getting like a early 30s receiver that you're like, ah, I'm a little bit worried about how we're going to lock him up. They traded him for a fifth like he was done. And that was the first move in the market, you know, because after that, like a bunch of those guys went for first or a pair of seconds, whatever. You also have to remember – immediately when Cleveland acquired him, they were like, yeah, we're just going to redo your deal. Yeah. Which they could have done. But I think they're so worried about the idea that they're not going to be able to pay top of the market deals to Diggs, Parsons. Uh, I I would have said possibly Pollard 24 hours ago. Um, but so, yeah, no, they, they absolutely could I have. I think that's it. an open question anyways. Which I, part? Like uh, Pollard was a, was a really big hit, but I I just I you know if you showed me like the uh, draft roster math and uh, show that this was wrong, I, I might be open to it. I'd like to work out the numbers, but I think that good NFL teams have to always be paying rookie running back salaries to running backs. I think I totally agree. Perpetually spend yeah every two or three years put like a third round pick into it, and like that's your guy, and that's it. That's why, okay, so to me, the two most confusing moves of the NFL uh, draft machinations of the last couple years, number one is Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. Don't sure. get it. Yeah. Like, if if, you're, if your entire identity is built on being quarterback-proof, and then you, which, by the way, go look at the history of that pick, because the Texans actually gave up their first, I want to say it was 12, for like... Laramie Tunsil and maybe Brandon Cooks. Mm-hmm. And then San Francisco fleeced them out of that pick <laughs> to move back up. But anyways, uh, the other one would be uh, Pollard himself. Like, he's the best argument for not drafting or for not signing uh, a running back to a long-term extension. Just... Go do it. Yeah. There's it just, uh, there are I, other ones out there, you know, like this one. And there, I would say that on average, running backs are better and more productive ages like, you know, 22 through 26 than 26 through 28, uh, 27, you know? I think that's empirically, uh, empirically provable. Yeah. So, you know, the, the time where the league has it set up so that you pay them nothing is the time they're going to be the best. And then right. you can pay them a ton in years where you know they're going to be worse than they just were. Like, I don't know. You should just always be so, have, have someone on a rookie contract that's your running back. 
So even Pollard's great. I mean, you know, if anyone's going to make it worth it, I don't think you're going to get screwed if you sign Pollard to a top of the market deal. I I think he probably comes back fine. I mean, you know, you could probably get away with like uh, doing a one year prove it now, and I would recommend that if you can. But you know, I mean, it's I don't think it would fuck up the franchise to give Pollard money. But like, it's I, I think it'd be a better use to just fucking cut him loose and pick another guy. Oh, so they just did this with Gallup. Yeah. Like, here's a busted guy from the third round who gave you value. Just move on. The other one I was actually trying to think of was uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah. That's one that I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. In the same way that San Francisco's offense is, you know, thought to be quarterback-proof, kind of thought we could just put any running back in Kansas City's offense whenever they're yeah like, like you're gonna be like the fifth option <laughs> exactly like yeah. Pacheco and then they took uh they took Clyde at like 31 or 32 mm-hmm. I'm like oh, I mean I guess I, I I guess and he didn't even go to Texas Tech <laughs> like what, <laughs> what the, the Jaguars fuck? did with <laughs> Travis <laughs> Etienne yeah <laughs> all right well enough football yeah it. we uh we do have a show coming up February 22nd the Twilight Lounge, Dallas. Hope to see everyone there. Be starting round eight. That's all. That's all you had on that. Okay. I just want to mention it again. Yeah. Twilight. So, uh, had a weird weekend on the flag front. Please. Uh, so we were the first game. We're at noon, which is quite nice because it meant I could go out and play, go to lunch with the fam, see all of the first game and still, you know, be at work at a respectable time. And this guy comes up to me and it's cold yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got like beanie hoodie on and he was like, hey, can I talk to you? It was like nice. 10 minutes before the game. My dad doesn't have that money. It's that guy. No way. They played it one. Uh-huh. We played at noon. So at this point, it's like 1145. And I'm like mm-hmm. stretching. And this guy's like, hey, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah. And honestly, like. You already are, brother. I know this sounds super conceited. Thought he was a fan. <laughs> I love talking to my fans. You got something you want me to sign? I'm stretching out the left wrist. I'm like, hey. One for you and the kids or just you? Who do I make it out to? He was like, hey, man. I'm really sorry about a couple weeks ago. We need to do a payment plan. And at this point, I'm doing so much math in my head. I'm like, all right, we didn't talk about this on the air. Mm-hmm. There's like a one, probably 0.1% chance that he listens to the podcast. I don't know and about it, that. It's and if he does, podcast. then hello, sir. Nice to talk to you. Uh, because I think the more overwhelming option is just he's been thinking about it since then. <laughs> I mean, if you just look at the the numbers on the paper, it's extremely embarrassing. Yeah. And he goes, hey, man. You don't want that- someone betting on you. You don't want them losing if they do. And then most of all, you don't want them clearly accepting the bet and then upon losing being like, no bet. So probably like the dude that uh, that I'm closest with on the team and then like probably the dude that I'm second closest with on the team are like 
three feet away from me, just kind of like lending an ear into this conversation. Mm -hmm. And he goes, hey, that thing I said to you that uh, I'm going to go live my life either way. He's like, unacceptable. That's not the man I am. There you go. And I go, oh, yeah, man. Like, I just thought it was funny. I didn't really think about it too much at all. Yeah. You clearly didn't forget it. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like it bothered me. Yeah. Like some other stuff that I'm about to get into. I was just like, yeah, oh, that's cool, man. Like, whatever. It's all good. And then I reverted to like extreme misogyny and was like, hey, it takes a real man to come up and say this. But I think I was just like pressed. Yeah, you want to give him some kind of Yeah, I was just like, yeah, dude, it's good. Uh, but then I was like, yeah, but you did bet me that money. <laughs> he goes, no, I didn't. Oh, so he didn't do that much growing. He was like, we never shook hands. I was like, yeah, but, you know, it was pretty clear. You know, yeah, we had like really a, a one-minute verbal exchange. And uh, I, we got done with it, and he went to the stands to watch, I don't know, his sons who were playing an hour and 20 minutes from now. Mm -hmm. And this dude on my team came up to me, and he goes, did you just ask him for that money? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're goddamn right I did. Where is it? So the one from this week, which is even tougher, uh, we took a tie. Boy, he, I cannot believe he took the time to think about that. It was like, upon reflection, I feel bad. But there was no bet. I mean, obviously, dude, no he bet. must have looked at the obviously schedule. No he must have looked at the schedule and saw that we were playing before their team this week and that he could get there. Yeah, I'll just come in the early. Fucking 1140? You know, I've really thought about it and he was there I was before in the wrong, me. But it wasn't a bet. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. That's so, insane. Uh, this week, uh, we tied. You really kind of lost it. It was tough. A tie's a loss for your team, quite clearly. And a tie is a win for the team we played. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. They're they drew blood. They know that come playoff time, they can be beaten. This is like uh, the Giants uh, giving the Patriots a close one the last, last week of the season in 2007. The 18-1 year? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we had no subs. They had a couple subs. It's always important. And uh, there was this little dude who was just giving me fucking fits. He was a, he was a real problem for me mm -hmm. uh, most of the game. Uh, he was not playing offense, which was, I mean, he would just come out fresh and just run right through my chest like every play. Talking a lot of shit. And uh, at the end of the game... He said to someone on our team, why don't you go tell your boy to talk about it on his little radio show? <laughs> Got your ass, dude. I was like, I can't even be mad. Yeah. He's got me. Absolutely. And you know, next time we play them and skull fuck them, I'm going to be like, 
What time's your show, dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just tell your mom about it. Yeah. Your little, you're a uh, your real doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love it. But for that one, he got me. Indeed. Got me good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is tough. And then the uh, the only other thing I have in my life is uh, it's Atlanta week. Absolutely, yeah. I, I hope that we get. I hope that we get full coverage of this. Have you mentioned it on the the radio? No. Okay. No. When when are you? Maybe do the whole show Wednesday. You leave on Thursday. Are you doing a show Thursday? Dude, I'm off Friday. We're leaving Friday at like noon, and we are coming back Saturday at like noon. Nice. We are in and out. That's beautiful. Where are you staying? Where is the what? Where is the venue? It's like the Symphony Hall for Atlanta. Yeah, it's like Midtown uh, Peach Tree, of course. And uh, the hotel that Machine booked is like a point two mile walk. Beautiful. It's right there. So we are we are landing. We are getting dressed. I had to try on a suit yesterday to make sure that I'm not too fat because I put on a little bit. Do you know if you're supposed to wear a suit or you're just choosing to? Have to. Have to? Fuck yeah, dude. How do mm-hmm. you know you have to? It like says it on the ticket? Yep, and I called. That rules. It's black tie affair only. That's great. That is so yeah. great. And honestly, like, uh, there was some confusion between me and Machine on, like, if we have to have a tux. Yeah. What does black tie mean? I know. I, like, I looked it up and it actually... There's a there's there's split opinion on this. Hmm. So uh, I actually searched it on uh, Twitter, just like GZ Orchestra or GZ Symphony. Yeah, because have and, we said uh, what this is? Did we say it on a previous episode? I don't think we did. Yeah, no. Uh, I think you and I just talked about it like pre and post recording a lot. Yeah, as you were just like, do it, do it, do it, do it, <laughs> fucking yeah. do it, debt, debt, debt. Your family debt, doesn't debt, need that do money. It. They didn't earn it. That's <laughs> right. for you. Right. Yeah, now you're going to feel great about this. You feel great about this already. I do, dude. So I've what, never what are the details? What are you going to see? Okay, so uh, Young Jeezy is playing Thug Motivation 101, his first album, which came out in 2005 when I was a sophomore in college from start to finish uh, with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, which is apparently like, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty highly regarded, but... It's not one of the imagine, big five. I, I do would imagine know the they big all five are. Now. Okay. See, that's what I was going to say is like, I don't know. Like people I've seen like they've won Grammys, but they probably just like take turns on those like Pertis trophies. Have you uh, have you heard about Tar? Do you know there's a movie called Tar? I've seen that on Twitter, but I was, I just thought everyone was making a typo. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, they just forgot the D. That was your assumption. They had a misfunctioning D key on their keyboard. Sir? <laughs> uh, so it's about a, a classical composer in, in the modern day who's, uh, you know, living life and is making some real dicey choices. It's a great movie. I I would say it's my best picture so far. Probably A2. I mean, it's just hard to say. How do you compare that in A2? No one is saying A2. A2WOW? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Um, and see, I, in there, I learned that, uh, Cleveland was one of the big five. I think it's, uh, Cleveland, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, and San Francisco. That's the big five. 
George told me that this weekend. That's how. I, so Atlanta not on the big five, but okay. Well, still thank you pretty for big deal. Sorry, my trip. <laughs> Sorry. Uh huh. So yeah, he's gonna do. Uh, and I've I've always thought. I guess I've actually never been to one of these, um, but I've always thought that the like artist is gonna do an entire album start to finish thing is like a dream of mine. Like I wish every concert I went to could be like that. Yes. It's just great. It's you know, whenever it's an album like that, like and the only time you would go to it is something where you're like, fuck yeah, it's one of the great albums of my life. And then just knowing, you know, kind of like having the it's its own way at concerts, like the surprise of the next song and like that's fun. But knowing what's coming and like building the anticipation and experiencing it the way that you did, like if you were sitting there of with course. your fucking CD player, except for the guys in front of you, there's something really special about that. Yeah, and I don't even think I like the boy. I don't know what song is next. Bit. <laughs> I like I mean, being know. like I want this to mimic my experience, but heightened. Yeah. And so yeah, he's doing uh, Thug Motivation 101 from start to finish. And he's doing it with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And anybody who's listened to that album, or if you want to go listen to it now, like most uh, most Southern rap albums, it's super, super heavily stringed. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I I don't know how much you would get out of like Nas doing Illmatic. With I see an that he did uh, perform at an or- with an orchestra at Carnegie Hall recently. Further demeaning my trip. No, it's not demeaning it at all. I'm just, you mentioned Nas playing with an orchestra. I'm just letting you know. I'm reading articles about this upcoming GC concert, and it says that Nas recently played with an orchestra. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like some of those albums, though, like, you know, especially East Coast stuff, it's so sample laden that I don't know. Like, I just don't, like, I don't know that there's a single sample on TM 101. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just set up to be, you know, a string-type production. So, yeah, we're going, me and Mike Marshall. And, of course, I've just been, like, searching it on Twitter, you know, nonstop for, like, the last couple weeks. And uh, the biggest tweet I saw was Ocho Cinco uh, debating what he was going to wear. Yeah, dude. This is going to be – it's going to be you and Black America. I kind of think you're right. <laughs> this is the event. I kind of think you're right. I can't wait. This is so cool. Yeah. Take no, lots I'm of very, notes. I'm very, very excited. I'm going to be super locked in. I honestly haven't listened to anything else for like a month. Which, you know, just sounds like a regular month, right? It's pretty much a regular month, but also I'm trying to uh, make sure that I train myself to not say the N-word. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would want to get all those down with that because it is a little, you know, whenever you decided not in the car by yourself, you're going to have to, you will find yourself tripping up. We right. all know it. You guys can act like you, <laughs> you don't know, know it. You all know it, but, but you know. you're lying to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it. I have a higher level of self-honesty, rigorous self-honesty. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I'm I'm so excited, dude. Like I... I'm <laughs> music wise, I'm not sure that I've ever been more hyped up for anything in my life. Again, they're making me wear a suit. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Everyone else is gonna be in a suit. This is nice. This is a really yeah. nice. Super, super nice. Um I uh I I finished the Shaq documentary. 
you told me the Shaq documentary was good, and now I'm here to say you're right. Incredible. I I bet I could get weary pretty quick of the idea that because Jordan had one, now everyone needs a multi-part documentary. I'm old enough, or I'm young enough, that like the magic one holds zero intrigue for me. I don't care. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if, if there was going to be a second one beyond Jordan, I think I probably would pick Shaq. So that works. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I don't know, like magic has always just seemed like a fraud to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, he cheats on his wife. Uh, well, we're we're talking about Shaq oh, and Michael yeah. Jordan, so I don't know that that like holds too much water. But yeah, I don't know. Magic has just always seemed like such a salesman to me. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. I feel like you can you can say stuff and produce segments about Shaq that he's like, this is negative, but I don't care. Yeah. What so? Were you not shocked, like, in episode one, like, thinking back on, I mean, you're a couple years younger than me, but, like, just thinking back on your history as a basketball fan, like, I definitely forgot that Shaq was as old as he was when he won, uh, won his first title. Yeah, the way it's portrayed there, yeah, where, like, he's, and I mean, I think that that's a common arc in sports, is the, you know, the the time before the breakthrough, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. And whenever uh, LeBron, it felt like he took forever. To win one but like you look back at it that's just how it goes a lot of times um you know like you're you're not yet at your peak and there's someone else who's about as good who is at their peak they are you know five years older than you and so like you're just not gonna be able to beat them one-on-one right um but yeah no the the thing that uh yeah no that that was great uh i didn't know anything about how he ended up at lsu i didn't know anything about his childhood like, you know, he's moving around all the time, uh, spent, you know, a lot of high school in Germany. I didn't know that he had spent the immediately preceding LSU in San Antonio. I, 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 if you asked me where Shaq was from, I would have said Louisiana. I, I just didn't know any of that. <clears throat> yeah, no. Um, I knew his dad was in the military. That was always like a big thing they would bring up. Yeah. Uh, you know, when telling his story, but the specifics of it, no, I'm with you. Yeah. And... Everything that they were saying about his dad and how he raised them, I thought was interesting. Uh, I am slow to endorse the viewpoint that uh, to make great people, you have to do things the way that his dad did. You know, he's very military style. Very like you know, it's it's like he was in the military, and it sounded like this is like a kind of the only formula he knew. And it worked well enough for him, so he was going to do it. And, you know, I mean, he's the classic, uh, well, I have this hammer, so anything I'm looking at must be a nail. Right. Um, and, and then all of it's, like, justified by the fact that Shaq, uh, you know, became good and never, like, cut him off. Like, he loved his father to the end, and I, I you know, have to do some thinking about that. Because I would have thought, you know, whatever. Like, that, it sounds like he was really rough to him. Like, he didn't show him a lot of love a lot of times. Like, that showing love was kind of, you know, the, the last thing that he was going to do until a certain point. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Uh, that's also not his biological father. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I honestly think, like, just based on some extremely anecdotal experiences with people I know, I think that makes you more receptive to possibly a fucked up or regressive form of parenting. 
Yeah. Because like, you're like, hey, at least yeah, but I can gone. tell you. Yeah. And I can tell you love. I can tell you love me. <laughs> yeah. So I do think that sometimes matters. Yeah, I think just, you know, he certainly seemed to put the time in. He was constantly present, um, mm-hmm. you know, and like like just it's not like he had like a, a hands off parenting approach, you know, like right. he was, well, he was always the other guys just gone. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like that he's always talking. It's not like he didn't care about Shaq and was an angry guy. So he'd hit him every once in a while or something like that. He seemed to care intently about Shaq and didn't really know a way of expressing that care other than like nitpicking him, which, you know, I think could have some deleterious effects, but like, you know, at the end of the day, like at the fucking guy's funeral, Shaq's standing up there crying, talking about how much you love them. If if you're a dad and that's what you get, like you won, okay? You know, like, right. uh, I won't argue with that. But I was just thinking, you know, in, in my uh, continued string of uh, watching documentaries and then playing armchair psychologist, uh, you hear him talk about, obviously they spend some time on both Penny Hardaway and Kobe and how those relationships ended. And a thing that stuck out to me in the telling in the documentary, you know, a documentary that Shaq's making about himself, um, it's admitted in both cases that, or it stood out to me just how little communication there was. Like that Penny's like, you know, he was gone. He didn't say a word. You know, there was no like, hey, can we try and, you know, f- patch this up in the months leading up to it. It was just, you know, he's out of here. Uh, Kobe, same deal. And like, you know, whenever Kobe had the uh, rape accusations, they, they were talking about how, you know, even like Shaq's uncle, who was like around him a lot, uh, like texted Kobe, like, hey, what's going on? And Shaq just doesn't say anything. And then, you know, he's just out of there. Uh, in the, both of those, I mean, like, you know, those are two of the defining events in Shaquille O'Neal's career moving on from the Magic and moving on from the Lakers. Uh, and I don't know how much it, like, really changes it, you know? Like, I, I think I would suspect that moving... I It's hard for me to imagine that the Magic would have won three titles in a row. So probably the move to the Lakers is a positive thing. Boy. Uh, you think so? <coughs> Penny's certainly sitting there saying that he, he could have uh, played the Kobe. They were so good and they were so young, man. And I feel like if they had been able to just outlast Jordan, I mean, Penny's not Kobe. I'm with you on that, but he was so fucking good in that and the, era. The way that he went to, I mean, I guess, you know, you're saying that in this case that they would have just uh, ponied it up because it's not like Shaq and Penny broke up because they hated each other that much. It was the Magic didn't want to pay Shaq. The Magic didn't want to be in a situation where they were doling out the largest contract, and the Lakers couldn't care less. Uh, yeah, and the other thing that it reminded me, too, is just how different the salary rules are now. Oh, yeah. Like when it comes to, like, scale and, yeah. you know, time served and your zero to four, your five to seven, your no, eight to back 11. Back then, it's what's the market say? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a poverty-ass franchise. Yeah, so that, that um, you know, and, and they're playing in that world, and so they they probably would have done that shit a couple more times. You know, they're not, like, yeah. just going all out to put whatever kind of cast around them they can. Um, but the, uh, and then, you know, did he lose titles by uh, leaving the Lakers? I mean, he won, you know, before Kobe did. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I think it's probably, I... I'd say he at least gets one more if he stays. And then 
I guess let's look at where exactly his career was during the Lakers other two. But and then, you know, do they get Powell? Would you, I'd probably rather have Powell than him on those teams. At that point? Yeah. I would agree. Uh and then so like is is he playing alongside Powell? Do they go and get Powell if Shaq's money's on their cap? But you know, I probably not. I don't see how that works. So I don't know. I don't know how all it works out. So maybe it's great for him that uh, you know his his two major professional partnerships of his career ended that way. But I doubt that he. I mean, he doesn't seem to have like giant regrets about it. But I don't know if he could have it happen or not happen. I guess you'd probably select not happen. And in both cases, it seems to me like a total lack of direct communication between the parties was one of the key figures or key things triggering what was going on. And that to me, I can, it's not hard for me to imagine that in like the, you know, just his, his dad raising him in like a very masculine way. Um, I, I don't know that it's like big on communicating feelings and like having heart to hearts. And, you know, I, I think it's just kind of like when someone's crossed the line, like, you know, it's the fucking military. You cut them loose. You know, like th- that guy can't be in the foxhole with me. We're done. And, you know, that that kind of stuff. Like, I just, I I think that uh, he wasn't really given the tool set to uh, repair those relationships when they started to deteriorate based on, you know, just the kind of environment he grew up in. And that led to, you know, sort of. Uh, and then, I mean, I, it definitely, see, I, I don't think they would have won anything else in Miami if he'd stayed. But the I, I had no idea about the story of him fucking bowing up to Pat Riley and then Pat Riley trading him within like a week. No, I didn't either. I feel like that would uh, – I don't know if it's uh, a pro or a con when it comes to the uh, – just like the cred and the – this uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, the bona fides of, of Riley. Yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? It's tough. But to the last thing you were saying, which I think is super interesting, and it's it's the way that I've always thought about Dez. Um, and I definitely think Shaq is a much more put-together individual than Dez is. Um, Don't need to denigrate Dez in this conversation. But I, I always used to have this conversation with Bob and Dan. Um, and really, it was because like I saw a little bit of myself, uh, which is silly, but... You know, that's that's kind of what you're looking for in sports is to be moved somehow yeah. emotionally. Like it just seemed to me that, you know, a lot of Dez's cons, a lot of the things that you would say, why is this guy doing this? My first thought was, well, because of the pros. Like he doesn't know how to do both. You know, there are very few individuals um, that are capable of being like great at whatever it is that they do and not having what makes them great at that also present some problems for them in other areas of their life or other areas of their profession. Yeah. Whatever you, you know, have, would, like the impulses that would lead him to do the things he's done, like those, those are going to be ill suited for solving other problems, but like he doesn't have another way to solve them. So like, exactly. That's exactly right. And you know, I was texting you uh, the other night about uh, generation kill mm-hmm. um, because it's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I read the book of one of the main characters. And I've always been super, super fascinated, especially since there was a guy I went to high school with um, who was a really good athlete. He was a bad motherfucker. But he was also like young life leader 
And I just remember even at the time thinking like, oh, I don't really get down with like the sort of religion that they're espousing here, but it's really, really impressive to me. This guy is capable of being like an absolute psychopath when it's time for aggression and then like an overwhelming empath when it's time for not. Yeah. And I'm not like that. You know, yeah. I, I have a, a very hard time turning things on or off on both sides, frankly, like the aggression or the empathy, you know, but there are some people that are capable of doing it, but that's super, super rare. So in the case of Shaquille O'Neal, you're talking about a guy who like this level of like rote, <laughs> uh, rigid, didactic learning worked for me to become what I am. So how can I then like go against my programming to be a more communicative teammate and friend, you can't. Most people can't. Yeah. I yeah, no, and he, he just, it seemed like there was definitely, like he he recounted a couple different things where it's like, I don't, you know, you just don't know where to put the feelings. Like, uh, right. you know, the the arguing with Riley seems like part of that, but like, uh, I, I didn't know he had, uh, like just straight up punched someone. <laughs> There's a couple times he's just socking people on the court. Uh, Andy fucking punched the Lakers trainer. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he did. And then, uh, then, then, you know, got with him to be like, but you know, we need to not snitch about this, right? Yeah. And the fucking Classic. Lakers trainer's a ride or die. So shouts out to him. He's one of the real heroes of the documentary. And a Brad Miller. Um, but yeah, uh, the other documentary that I've been watching is uh, any chance you've seen the Quincy Jones thing? It was a couple years ago. It's on Netflix. No, that sounds very interesting, though. Let's see. Uh, Rashida Jones is prominently involved in the making, and it's it's looking back like you know it just walks you through his whole career, and I had no idea. Really I, like, hope, really hope they don't give my kids authority over a documentary about me. <laughs> I know, right? No, it's. I think it's good for him, dude. <laughs> Knowing like any t- like all the articles that are floating around of like any time like a writer sits sits with Quincy, and he's like, we were fucking five ladies. We had we had just had him coming in in, in shifts. I uh, have seen like, some of those excerpts. Yeah, yeah, and none none of that shows up in the doc. So you like good. and the way good, that Rashid is with him in the documentary, I I think that she's like. My father's oh, a good man. Oh, you know man. what? I think I did watch this a couple years ago. Does he just drink all the time? He drinks a good amount. Some. I mean, he's he's talking about how he's cutting back. Okay, because I remember uh, if I'm... I think I saw this. That, like, he makes them make stops. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, yeah. Like, they're on the way to wherever, and he's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's 11 a.m., and I'm kind of hurting here. <laughs> yeah um and like you know just to talk about uh party all night like yeah that's that's the kind of stuff comes up um and it is my understanding he may still do that now <laughs> he certainly did it late into his life um but i just i i didn't know you know like i'm aware that he produced michael jackson's biggest albums uh i assumed he had done some other things but like the breadth of the career like he was he knew Ray Charles when they were both like in high school. Ray might have been like just out or something like that. But that's when Quincy starts to rise to like a person of national prominence in music and he's not done with high school yet. And that's like he was born in 33. So by the end of the 40s, he's someone that you know like is on the national scene and remains there, you know, I don't know, to some extent 
till this day. Like Montreux Jazz Festival is still a big deal. And that's, I don't know if it's like entirely his baby, but he's a very, very big part of it. Is that Montreal? And, uh, no, Montreux, uh, it's the other side from Geneva, Lake Geneva. Okay. It looks fucking dope. We got to go out there, dude. Once, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, it's just called the Montreal International Jazz Festival. Yeah. Uh, but look up Montreux. Uh, I've definitely heard it, heard of it. Yeah, it just looks great. That and all the, the FIFA doc, like one of the big uh, like UEFA meetings is happening in Montreux. So I've just seen a lot of drone shots of Montreux in the last like a couple weeks of my life. And it feels like I'm being called to uh, to hang out there more. Um, but so, you know, Quincy does a ton of amazing shit. He's the like musical director on Fly Me to the Moon. Like he's, he's a big dog with Sinatra, which I, you know, I'm sure most people know, but I had no idea. Um, but the thing that stood out to me, the one point that I wanted to bring up the documentary to make, uh, is, you know, not about Quincy specifically, but, uh, he talks about how, because one of the like kind of narrative points they're building the documentary around is that uh, he's going to be programming the opening night of the Smithsonian African American Museum, and uh, so he's he's talking about how where your quarterback was. Fields went to that. No, it wasn't uh, w- <laughs> Trubisky? Did he go? Which Notre Dame player went to Covington? <laughs> Oh, uh, Michael Mayer. Okay. He was at the African-American Smithsonian opening? Isn't that where the debate happened? I don't know. With the uh, the Black Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites? Uh, yeah. The indigenous the, the Native Americans? Yeah. I, I didn't know that was tied into the Smithsonian. I mean, it's, it was on the National Mall, which, you know, is close. No, that's where it was. Okay. Is that, is that the African-American Museum? That's where like, the, the white I'm Catholic like, kids are like, shut the fuck up. I'm like 90% sure, dude. Boy, that's too on the nose. <laughs> I know. That's what was so great about it. <laughs> um, but Quincy's talking about how uh, he uh, just had no idea. Like, you know, he's sitting there in history class hearing about the great men. And they're all whites. He, he had no concept of like a, a great black man that he was supposed to aspire to be. And it made me think about like, cause, uh, another thing was there was something I, I've now mentioned on the podcast before. Maybe when I did it, then I could remember where I heard about this, but something about like, uh, indigenous societies in Canada that like there was a, a systematic thing where the Canadian government was just going in there and killing, you know, the adult males of the society. And then, you know, 20 years later, when a bunch of kids who were raised by no dad have no idea how to be a good father, everyone's like, well, it's a proof that their society is failing. Like, no, dude, it's mm-hmm. proof that you killed their dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, uh, I, you know, thinking about that kind of stuff of like society building, like it's, it's a big thing in, uh, you know, Irish history because, you know, the most of the population, to say nothing of the uh, working males, died off in the 1840s. And so, you know, uh, that then it's like, how long is it going to take to fix that? You know, I mean, do you ever fix that? I mean, I guess in like a million years, it's probably not going to be talked about too much, but who the fuck knows? Uh, but it's just like, you know, it was making me think about, Quincy's point made me think about how, in some ways, black people in America are trying to stand up their own society 
and like you know that it's 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 a kind of project that like takes longer than we've had since the civil war to do you know like i i, I don't even know you know what like and i mean it's just such a different thing because like I'm sure that American society, like white American, you know, George Washington, American society, um, you know, it wasn't like uh, easy to tame the lands and make them livable. Um, but, uh, you know, it was also being done by people who had decent enough examples and plenty of support from back home if they needed it and things of that nature. But like even that, you know, come over in 1492, we're not uh, declaring our independence till 1776. That's quite a long period. It's longer than we've had since the civil war. I think, I don't know. My math's not perfect, but it sounds right to me. Um, and I I don't know, man, it just, uh, it it just, it was just really making me think about the scale of the, uh, task, you know, posed by, uh, you know, every, the, the problems created by slavery. And then, uh, you know, I mean, like, Whenever uh, Ben Shapiro is saying like he's against reparations because uh, you know it's a the the people who committed the sin and the people who were sinned against are both not directly involved. So what are we even doing? I mean, you know, obviously I understand the the strictly literal uh, way in which he is correct about that, but uh, you know, uh, it's it's just such a bigger task than being like, well, you know, I didn't kill anyone's dad, so I don't think that I should have to care about whether or not these dads got killed. Um, I don't know. You, you can take that point, but it's, it seems to me like it's hard to recover from a society of dead dads. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic. Yeah. I think a big, uh, distinction I would make is the difference between your challenges being, uh, human or otherwise, right? Like, so if you, uh, happen to, uh, hello, you having some human challenges, huh? Purple iPad. Hey guys. Hi. Hey TC. Hello. Hey TC. Hope you're having a nice day. I think a big part of the difference is like if you had to take on the sea. Yeah. That might like harden you and be like, oh, tough times. But if you have to take on like humans who categorically are subjugating you. I think that has a way more lasting effect for society in the case you're talking about is is similar to that. Yeah. As as is slavery than just being like, boy, the West is tough. Yeah. Cause <laughs> like I just think that, I mean, I think those are two I, I wouldn't say they're totally different and that they both have like lasting effects on who you are as a people, but they certainly are sociologically different. Yeah, I mean, if you got to wrestle with bears every day of your life, it certainly has an effect on you, and you're gonna—it's going to affect your opinion of what kind of world you're living in for sure. But it's not going to affect, like, you know, whenever you're mistreated by another person, it just destroys societal trust. And exactly. Like, that's just so necessary for everything else you're doing. Like, you know what? Whatever, like just the basic thing of like, whenever you're meeting another human, you don't know anything about them yet. What assumptions are you making about them? If your assumption is based on your experience that they're trying to steal from you, they're going to lie to you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then like whatever value you might have been able to get out of this meeting, you're just not going to get. Like you, you know, right. meeting other people is not going to make your life better. And like it's hard to make your life better unless meeting other people makes your life better. You know, like we we can only build these things together. 
Um, and so, yeah, yeah. If you're if 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 the wrongs committed against you are wrongs that came from fellow man, it is definitely fucking corrupting and like uh, you know it's eating away at your what kind of life that you have on the table that you could lead. And especially if those wrongs continue to be reinforced uh, in different ways, yeah, possibly not to the same degree. On who's like, I didn't make the wrongs. Yeah, and you know, even more. Uh, you know, tangibly, like you can't live here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, you know, I think if I had any superpower, um, it wouldn't be to not die because, like a great man, Slug once said, I'm not interested in a race with no finish line. Mm-hmm. But I do think. That if the afterlife included some level of consciousness of just checking back in every now and then, like I don't want anything. I don't want virgins. I don't want anything. I don't. I don't want to see my family. Like whatever. I just would like for every year or so, uh, if the afterlife to just be, all right, just hit me up with like a one sheet. What if you are just uh, freed from the chains of time? What if it's all just happened? You know, like it's it's and it's you can just like happen happening to and, and not going happening. To happen. Yeah, like yeah. you know, just yeah, time becomes a flat circle. Because to me, that's like the most interesting thing to me to think about is like, man, I really wonder what this is going to look like in forty years. And by this, I don't just mean race relations or America. I mean just the world. To me, that's that's a fascinating thing to think about. All right, we're almost out of time, so I guess we'll have to save the M M&M and M thing for tomorrow. <laughs> okay because i'm pretty fired up <laughs> yeah do you not like Dude. my rudolph yeah i mean i don't know much about her but <laughs> okay i spent the whole morning fucking a bag of m&ms mm-hmm. and they liked it <laughs> yeah they they were begging for more <laughs> they, were, they, they were stoked on it um and then the other thing and this is probably a rant that uh would require jordan Jorts Richardson to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Taylor Sheridan is ruining America. Mm. You know, we have a farmer wants a wife reality show being revived. Yeah, I do know that. We're going to watch a, that together, right? A hundred percent only exists. Looks great. Because Kevin Costner and Taylor Sheridan and whatever network that is on, I probably Paramount, something. Always unclear to me. Like I thought it was Paramount based, but Megan's been watching it and she was like, once I get Paramount Plus, this will be great. Then I can watch my show. And then we did get it and it's not on there. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Dude, because they convinced, and I've seen this up close and personal, and a uh, good friend of the show, Sam Anderson, is uh, excused from this because he was like 10 years before this. But they've got guys who I promise you 10 years ago were wearing Vans and Dickies wearing fucking cowboy hats. They've never seen livestock. They've never... Dude, I was at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo this weekend. And for me, much like my claim once upon a time that I could tell the difference between uh, an African person and an African-American person... Would you repeat that claim in good... Is that a good idea? I can say that because it's true. I can go to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo and tell which one of you motherfuckers actually work with animals and which don't. Mm -hmm. It's not hard. Okay. 
The, has this so, been a big boon for the stock show and rodeo, I wonder? I bet it has. <laughs> I bet it has because you're like, I've got this hat. I've got this jacket. I've got these boots. Like, where do I wear them? I mean, I've well, sent you the, uh, the, 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 guy, uh, the guy that you've long told me well before he ever had a TikTok that you hate him. That like the the rich dude who had the who won all the battle of the bands because his parents got him good amps and good lessons. Case in point. Yeah, that that he's like, well, I'm a country guy now. The kid from DV8. <laughs> DV8. With a digit. Yeah, I'm just saying. We would not have this dumbass reality show if this guy from Texas had not convinced people that it's okay for you to dress like you know what? I love football. You know what I don't wear, like, to my job? A football helmet. Mm. They probably Pad, uh, leave the, the boots at home. Boots are just like a, a Friday going out kind of thing. Everyone knows you're all faking it. I don't know. You know, you know this you, was... Was, uh, your, was your life really that better whenever they were still in the vans? It was better. You know, this is uh these are just uh, not gonna be your friends anyways. Does it matter what your non-friends are wearing? It doesn't really matter. I was just trying to make you laugh. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh this uh this is obviously not like an edict that I followed, as evidenced uh by the fact that a few months ago we went to go see Garth together. Mm-hmm. My mom was always like, Garth's fine. George is a cowboy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, which I would say is uh, no no bigger uh, support for her argument than the fact that my mom didn't listen to George. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, people <laughs> people in Illinois love Garth Brooks. Yeah, and my mom was just always like, "Yeah, no, he's he's a fraud, son." I loved uh, Flathead Lake showing up in the Shack documentary. I think oh, I heard that Phil dude, had a no house doubt. on it, but that's great. Yeah, yeah. One of the really special lakes in all of America. That's where Phil Jackson's house is. Very little housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty tough to get a house on a flathead, despite it being outside of the uh, Great Lakes. It's got to be pretty far up there as far as big-ass lake. It's you a can very drive large for like a, lake. Drive for an hour, you're still on flathead. Yeah, which like, you know, Lake Michigan, going to take you a lot longer than an hour to get up that bad boy. But again, outside of that. It's a pretty serious lake. All right, folks. All right, well, let's book a lake. Let's book a lake. We'll see you next week or uh, in Later. a couple days, whatever. Whatever. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next, so until tomorrow. For everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.